Well, good morning, Life Point. How's everybody doing today? The sun's shining. Don't get used to it. It's uh, winter in Montana, uh, I think, this afternoon. So, but uh, such is life living in Montana. That's okay, right? Well, hey, uh, welcome again. If you are new visiting, uh, we would love to connect with you. If you're watching online, uh, please text the word welcome to the number on the screen. We promise not to spam your phone or your email, uh, but we would love to get to know you just a little bit and uh, connect you to all things LifePoint. But if you have a Bible, go to Joshua chapter number five today with me. If you don't have the scriptures with you, that's okay too. Uh, We'll have it up on uh, the screen for you to follow along with us as well this morning. But if you are new uh, with, uh, with us here at LifePoint for the very first time, or maybe it's your first, back, first time back in a while, uh, we've been in a, a series called Strong and Courageous. Strong and Courageous uh, in the book of Joshua. And uh, I, I hope and I pray uh, that this is not something that you just approach academically, right? Like it's great to have knowledge and it's great to you know, fill our minds with knowledge of Scripture, uh, but we're supposed to do something with it, right? And that's really the point of Joshua, I think, is that we not only learn about who God is and what God expects, but that we actually take that into uh, everyday life and we build strength and courage. Uh, we're never going to impact the world for Christ through fear and cowardice. Would you agree with that statement? Uh, as, a, as Christians in our world today, we're never going to have any kind of impact if we are fearful uh, of things in the world and if we are cowards. And uh, I think we see a lot of both of those two things in Christianity in America today, unfortunately. But God uh, desires that we have strength for him. Uh, God desires that we have courage for him, courage for the scriptures, uh, strength to be able to stand upon our convictions for the Lord and, and do what it takes to uh, impact a world for Christ. We need those things. And, and that's really my hope for all of us, uh, is that by the end of a sermon series like this, that we would say, man, I'm stronger and I'm more courageous uh, because of what I've learned and it's impacted my heart and my life. And I, I pray that's the case uh, for you and I. But that, that's what God desired, of course, from Joshua. Um, that's what God desired for the nation of Israel. They would be obviously confronted in so many different ways uh, to, uh, you know, to exemplify fear, and, or uh, excuse me, not fear, but uh, yes, fear. They would have the opportunity to be fearful, uh, but to exemplify these two things, strength and courage. And I, I hope it's your desire to, to be the same. And if it's not, if you're here like, man, I don't have strength and I don't have courage, my hope is to challenge you, to inspire you, to encourage you in some way, shape, or form uh, to be strong and to be courageous uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, hey, this morning we're going to spend our time in Joshua 5, and I don't know if you've read it. Um, at the very beginning of this sermon series, encouraged you, and I want to encourage you again to read through the book of Joshua, to kind of, you know, spend some time just, you know, digesting and reading what is going on in the nation of Israel and through the, throughout the book of Joshua. But man, when you come to Joshua chapter number 5, it kind of seems a little inconsequential. I don't know if you kind of caught that if you read it. Uh, But there's really no miracle that's happening. There's nothing like really out of the ordinary uh, that seems to be happening. Um, They cross the Jordan River. They set up their camp in Gilgal. uh, And they place those memorial stones that we talked about last uh, last Sunday. Those stones that were to remind them of what God had done. The victory, right? In crossing the Jordan River. Uh, And so they do all of those things. and, and, And they get there and God tells Joshua to do something in chapter number five. And that is this is to prepare to prepare for the battle ahead, 
Uh, as you know, they are on a conquest. As you know, they are there to take the promised land, the, God that, uh, the land that God had uh, promised to them. And, uh, and so they get all these battles, right, that are ahead of them. Jericho is in chapter number six, and they're going to, you know, march around the walls. The walls are going to fall, and, and God's going to give them Jericho. And there's going to be battle after battle after battle. But here in Joshua chapter number five, they're called by God to prepare for the battles that are ahead. And, and the preparation that God has them do uh, is a little kind of, you know, unordinary, uh, it, it's a little unconventional. It, it's not maybe what we would think would be necessary from a human perspective or, or even a military perspective. I mean, if you're thinking about the battle ahead, you know, you kind of get this image in your mind of like, you know, guys sitting around a campfire sharpening their swords. You know what I mean? Come on, man. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, sharpen my blade, that sort of thing, right? But, but that's, not, that's not happening. That's not happening. But this battle, along with all the battles ahead of them would be very, very different because God was going to be the one to fight their battles. And really, to be fair, like if you know the nation of Israel at this point, you know that they spent 40 years wandering in the desert. Uh, a whole generation of people really died off in the desert because they disobeyed God. But, but this new nation, man, to be fair, they hadn't really fought a lot of battles. I mean, they, they weren't like a battle-ready army uh, there wasn't a lot of soldiers. They didn't have modern weapons. There's no horsemen. There's no chariots. There's no, like, battering rams and modern machines to, like, take a city. They, they don't have any, any of those things. In fact, they likely didn't even have many swords, even. They're just a group of people who found freedom. And they are walking into these battles seemingly unprepared. And so these guys are a bunch of greenhorns, and God wants to prepare them. He wants to prepare them. And listen, this morning, God wants to prepare you. And it may not be in the way that you think, right? It may not be in the ways that, that you maybe even want this morning, but I want you to know today that God wants you to be prepared for the battles ahead of you. And yes, there will be battles, right? Like Christianity, don't let anyone, don't let any preacher ever tell you that once you become a Christian, life is just easy, right? God just does everything for you, and, and it's just not true, right? There will be battles that you and I are going to face, and we need to prepare for those battles ahead of us. And so let's find out kind of what's happening here, and we're just going to break it down into small chunks so that we can kind of digest it this morning. But Joshua chapter 5, starting in verses 1 through 2, we read this, and it says, As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites, who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. And so, like, word travels fast, right? These guys no sooner cross the Jordan River that, man, kings to the west, kings by the sea, like, they hear about the wonders of God. They hear about the victories that God is bringing to the nation of Israel. And they're fearful, right? They're fearful of this nation marching into their land. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't repent because of that, but uh, they are nonetheless fearful. In verse number two, we read this. And at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. Let's just stop there for just a moment. Now, all the things that they could do to prepare. <laughs> this seems like the worst idea, 
right? This is like, come on, really? Like, couldn't we have done this on the other side of Jordan? Couldn't we have done this at some uh, other point? But God, really, circumcision? Um, what is this all about, right? We're going to talk about circumcision today. You know, like, yay, I came to church. <laughs> Should have stayed at home and watched online. <laughs> Awkward, right? We need to understand, what is this all about, right? Why is God requiring this very thing? Well, there's a purpose and there's a reason, okay? But in order to understand that, we need to go back in time just a little bit uh, to where circumcision originated. What is the purpose? Well, let's do that real quick. Genesis chapter 17 in verses 1 through 11, and it'll be on the screen for you to see as well. This is known as the Abrahamic covenant. God called this man by the name of Abram and said basically, hey, serve me, obey me, walk with me, and I'll make this awesome promise to you. I'll give you a nation, I'll give you a people. Let's read it. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram, and he said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Pretty, uh, pretty big requirement there, right? Verse two, that I might make a covenant, my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations and I'll make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings will come from you and I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring and you throughout their generations from, uh, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you into your offspring after you. And I will give to you into your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan. Go ahead and just like make a mental note of that, right? All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. Uh, and, and God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. So God makes this grand, grand promise, right? God makes this covenant with Abraham. Uh, he says, I will do all of these things for you. I will do all of these things for this nation that will come from you, which is, of course, uh, Israel, right? But there's something, Abraham, that you need to do. There's something that I'm requiring of you. And notice what that is in verse 10. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And so you have this grand promise. But God calls Abraham to kind of sign on the dotted line right? If you buy a house, right? You've got to sign all these papers and, and, uh, and say, yeah, I'm going to, you know, this is mine. I'm going to be responsible for this mortgage, all those kinds of things. Well, God makes this great promise. You can have all of this, but you also have to keep your side of it. And that was circumcision. Let me give you just a quick, easy definition of circumcision. It is an outward symbol of an inward reality, like God was so serious about this promise and so serious about, uh, about Abraham and the nation of Israel keeping it that he wanted some sort of outward sign for the nation of Israel to say, yes, we are in agreement with you. We are going to be your covenant people. And so circumcision was intended to be that. It was a sign of the very covenant that God was making with Abraham and making with the nation of Israel. And that, of course, set them apart, right? That set them apart. Now, fast forward 
Fast forward to the Exodus, right? They come out of Egypt, 40 years in the desert. Guess what they're not doing? Circumcision, right? An entire nation of people was circumcised before they went into uh, the wilderness wanderings, but all of those kids for 40 years, those kids that they were supposed to circumcise to say, hey, we are still your covenant people, they actually refused to do it, and they wandered aimlessly through the desert because of their disobedience. Just as a side note this morning, and this is a whole other message, there's a lot of Christians today wandering aimlessly in this life because they're disobeying God. There's a lot of people in churches in America today who are wandering aimlessly because they refuse to do some of the most basic things that God requires. And again, that's a whole other message uh, for another time. Uh, But this is where the nation of Israel is at. That generation had passed away, and now there's a new generation. And so they've crossed into this promised land, a land that was promised generations prior to Abraham. And now all of that is coming to fruition in Joshua chapter number five. It's pretty, pretty interesting stuff. But God's going to give it to them, right? God's promised it to them. Uh, It's an everlasting covenant. But God's not going to give it to them without this, renewing the covenant. Renewing the covenant. And so before they do anything further, before the battle is even fought, before they're tempted to kind of devise their own plans and just march in and, and take the land, God says, circumcise the men of Israel. And I want you to know that that would have been a very big step of faith for Joshua, right? Let's be honest, you're in enemy territory, Uh, Jericho is not very far away. In fact, it was likely two miles uh, away from Gilgal where they had kind of set up camp. And so they're right near their enemy. And God says, I want you to do something that's going to make your men vulnerable, right? Like, guys, give me an ice pack and let me just chill in the tent for like three days and then we'll be good, right? There's no fighting, right? There's There's no fighting going to happen. But they do it and they obey. Check it out. Joshua chapter 5 and verses 3 through 9, it says, So Joshua made flint knives, and he circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath uh, Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after that they had come out of Egypt. All these guys, all these warriors, all these soldiers, they disobeyed, and they actually died in the wilderness. And it says in verse 5, Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, Yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after uh, had not been circumcised. And so verse 6, the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, they perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And the Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us a land flowing with milk and honey. And so it was their children, this new generation entering into the land, the land whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. Uh, and then verse uh, number eight, it says, when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed, obviously, right? And the Lord said to Joshua, today, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, and so the name of that place is called Gilgal to that day. And Gilgal is very similar to the Hebrew word uh, that that means roll, and so uh, God rolling away their reproach. And so you're probably like, how in the world (laughs) could any of this apply to my life, right? 
Uh, how, how is any of this really meaningful for me this morning uh, in my life? Well, here's what we're going to discover when it comes to our battles. When it comes to the battles that you're going to encounter in life, and listen, the spiritual battles, every single person who is a Christian in this room, you are in a spiritual battle. Like it or, like it or not, know it or not. You are in a spiritual battle. When it comes to those battles, how in the world are we to prepare for them? Right? If we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness and dark places, like, oh my goodness, I don't know about that. Like, let somebody else do that, right? You're called to fight that battle. How do we prepare? How do we prepare? Well, here's the bottom line this morning, and it's simply this, is that God wants your heart, not your abilities. God is more concerned about your heart than your abilities this morning. Did you know that God didn't need Joshua's military experience? God's not like, oh, I picked Joshua because, man, he's such a good leader and he's such a good soldier and all of those kinds of things. God didn't need that from Joshua. God didn't need an army of soldiers. God didn't need weapons of war or military prowess. God didn't need chariots or horses or anything else. He didn't need, need any of those things. He just wanted hearts that were willing and surrendered to him. Let me do it my way. Hearts surrendered. And the same is true with you and I today. God wants your heart more than your abilities. God wants your heart more than your skills. A lot of people, we have this, this mindset like, God couldn't use me because I don't have abilities or I don't have skills or I don't have the, you know, the things that I think I need in life. And God's like, it doesn't work that way, Christian. I just want your heart. Because when I have a surrendered heart, guess what? God gets the glory in our lives. And so what we need most today isn't money, isn't buildings, isn't even volunteers. And then some people are like, don't say that, Pastor. Whoa. <laughs> See? It's like God saying, shame on you. <laughs> shame on you for saying that. <laughs> We need volunteers, yes, always. <laughs> My goodness. But God doesn't need those things, right? We don't need fancy equipment. We need, we need listen to me, hearts first and foremost that are surrendered to the Lord. Because hear me out. Like If we have all of those other things and we don't have surrendered, surrendered hearts, we have nothing, nothing. We just have a club, right? with good music and fun stuff. That's all we have, right? And so we need surrendered hearts, and God wants your heart uh, more than your abilities. And we're going to see three things, three kind of areas that, that God wants to prepare the nation of Israel, and we see it in what he's asking them to do. And so we're going to kind of explain what is this idea of circumcision and, and how does it apply uh, to us today. But there's three areas about your heart that I, I think are required and I think are uh, really implicit in what is happening here in Joshua chapter number five. And so I want to share those with you this morning. And the first thing is this, is that we need a circumcised heart. Write that down. We need a circumcised heart this morning. Of course, physical circumcision. Like this is this idea of like cutting away. It was this symbol. Uh, but it was very uh, uh, commensurate with this idea of cutting away the flesh, cutting away uh, sin. And God obviously uses an organ that uh, causes a lot of evil and causes a lot of sin. Let's just be honest, okay? Um, but this is what God is calling them to do. But it would mean nothing, this outward symbol, if it didn't affect their hearts in some way. 
And what that means is this, is that you can do a lot of religious stuff, right? Like you can look the part, you can talk the part, you can, you know, put on this front that you've got, you know, life figured out. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians live that way. It's a very self-righteous way to live. And the Pharisees in the New Testament, they were like the prime example of this. I mean, you know, everybody looked at a Pharisee, uh, these religious leaders in the first century, and thought, man, they got their life together. You know, they pray when they're supposed to, they give, they, you know, they know the law, they know all this stuff. But you know what Jesus said to them? You, you're, like a, you're like a gravestone that's really pretty on the outside, and it's beautiful, and it's whitewashed, and it's wonderful, but on the inside, it's full of dead man's bones. That, that's who you are. And, and so these symbols and these things, they, they really mean nothing unless it actually impacts your heart. And so we need a circumcised heart. We need to cut away areas of our hearts, areas of our lives that, that we would say, this is, this is mine. I want this. I'm not giving this over to the Lord. It might be a sin. It might be a habit. Whatever it is that's keeping God from ruling and from reigning in your heart. And that's why in Scripture, we're going to see here in just a moment that we're actually called in the nation of Israel is actually called uh, to kind of metaphorically circumcise their hearts to cut away things in their lives so that they would be set apart so that they would be clean for the Lord. And that concept, of course, wasn't something new to Israel. Like, you don't, you don't just see it in Joshua chapter number five. Let me share with you just a few other references, and this is not exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination, but notice Deuteronomy chapter 10 in verse 16. You have so much of the law, these like rules, you know, that are, that are within scripture that God called the nation of Israel to. Uh, in, in verse 16, it says, circumcise, therefore, cut away the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Like, there's got to be this, like, introspective uh, evaluation of your heart. Like David said, you know, search me and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me. And when you find it, that you would be willing to cut it out, to rid yourself of it, so that you have a clean heart unto the Lord. Here's another example. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, God actually says, I will do this for you. I will do this for you. In, in chapter 30, in verse 6, this is, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart in the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And then in Jeremiah chapter 4, in verse 4, it says, This circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskin of your hearts. And they would so often forget that. And if you look at the nation of Israel and you look at their history, there were so many times in their history where they just like, they just like went through the motions. And I so appreciate, Brad, what you said this morning because we do the same thing, right? We go through the motions. We do church. We sing a couple songs. We listen. We go home and we say, oh, that's good enough for the week. And we need to circumcise our hearts. And we need to stop doing the religious things that we think is enough and look at our hearts and say, does God really have my heart today? Or does he just have my abilities? A pastor friend of mine uh, who is a pastor in Idaho, he said this, and I love it. I'm going to give him 100% credit for it. But he said, it's more important to have God in our hearts than a sword in our hands. Thank you, Keith, for that statement. It's more important to have God in our hearts than a sword in our hands. It's real easy to go through life and think, pick up the sword, right? Pick up the sword and like start chopping and start doing all this stuff where God's like, I just want your heart first. 
and I'll take care of the rest. A circumcised heart. And so in order to prepare for the battle, this is what God is reminding the nation of Israel to do, to prepare spiritually, that God wanted them to have a heart of flesh that was soft and surrendered uh, to the Lord. Because the battle, listen, it wasn't Joshua's. It wasn't Israel's. The battle was the Lord. And we're going to really see that come to fruition uh, at the end of the chapter. But God is going to fight this battle for them. But if you want to see God work in your life, right? You want to see, like we talked about last Sunday, those victories as you kind of look back in the past and kind of have those, those rocks, those, those stones that you can look back and say, victory, 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 which gives me confidence for the battles ahead. Man, if you want those successes and if we want God to work in our church, listen, first and foremost, we need to circumcise our heart of flesh. We need to surrender our hearts to the Lord. And that's just like a daily thing, isn't it? It's not just a Sunday morning thing, man. It's a daily thing. Here's the second thing this morning. Not only we need to circumcise our hearts, we need a thankful heart. We need a thankful heart. Uh, and, and this really goes hand in hand with what we talked about last Sunday, the victories, right? We remember those victories. We remember what God had done, and, and we set up some sort of memorial. We do something. We write it down. We put it on a wall. We you know, put a picture up. So we remember those victories, but those victories are to cause us to be thankful for what God has done, to be thankful for, for what God has done in our lives. Well, that's what's happening here, I think, in verses 10 through 12. Notice it with me in verse number 10. It says, while the people of Israel, so they, they, they took care of this covenant thing. We're going to renew the covenant. We're going we're to circumcise our hearts. So we're your people, and we're in covenant with you, God. Like, we're in agreement with that. And it says in verse number 10, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And then the, the next few verses talk about this idea of like they actually ate of the fruit of the land uh, for the very first time. They entered into Canaan. No longer did they have to eat the manna. This is where manna actually ceased. And now they're eating uh, the fruit of the land. But they keep the Passover. They keep the Passover. And they hadn't done that in 40 years. 40 years. They forgot. I mean, the very people of God who, who are freed from Egypt, and, and they're freed because God showed up. Let's be honest, right? They didn't free themselves. They didn't fight a battle. God himself freed them. And the Passover meal was this memorial, this feast that they were to do in remembrance of what God had did uh, in their lives. And they had forgot that. They, they forgot the wonders and the victories of God. And so what did God want from them? A thankful heart. I want you to remember, what does God want from you and I? He wants the same thing. He wants a thankful, a thankful heart, not just during Thanksgiving, right? We ought to have a thankful heart all the time. You see, it's not about your abilities. It's not about your talents. It's not about your giftings. It's not about really you. It's about our hearts in general. And here's why this matters so much. If you don't have a thankful heart, you won't have a serving heart. Did you catch that? If you don't have a thankful heart, you won't have a serving heart. Service flows from thankfulness, doesn't it? Like we, the churches, you know, in America today, around the world today, they, they ought to have like a long line and list of people, going back to the volunteer thing, I'm going to hold on to this, 
<laughs> the church, church ought to have like a long list, of, like a waiting list to serve within the body of Christ. Don't you think that's true? Because if God's people are really thankful for what he has done for them, like you are dead in your trespasses and sins, like that's the reality of humanity, and you couldn't do anything to, to like get right with God, you couldn't reconcile that relationship on your own, you can't be good enough, religious enough, can't read your Bible enough, can't go to church enough, you can't do it on your, your own. If that's true, right, and God was the only one through Jesus and his sacrifice for us, he was the only way. If that's really true, we ought to be the most thankful people. We ought to look at the church and say, man, how, how can I just give of my life to the body of Christ? How can I serve in some way, shape, or form? We, but we make all kinds of excuses, right? Oh, I'm not gifted enough. I'm not talented enough. I don't have anything to offer. Or, or people say this, I'll serve the Lord as long as my needs are met, right? And then that happens, right? I'll serve, I'll give, I'll sacrifice as long as you do for me. And we make a ton of excuses, right? You see, when you truly have a thankful heart, you just can't help but want to serve the Lord. And this is the heart of preparation that God desires in the people of Israel, to have this heart of thankfulness for what God had done and will do. But here's the opposite of that. Like, maybe you're here and you're like, I'm not really thankful, you know? And we all go through those seasons, don't we? Where we just kind of like forsake what God has done. Here's what unthankful people do. And scripture really exemplifies what becomes of us when we're not thankful to the Lord. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, this is Paul speaking. And notice what he says. For although they knew God, you, let, you ought to let that phrase burn in your mind. They knew God. How much they knew of him, I'm not really sure. Do they have a knowledge of him intellectually? Do they have a true relationship with him? Probably not, but they knew, they knew God. And you might be here and you might say, I know God. I know who he is. I understand him, but do you know him in the sense of a relationship, right? Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were dark, and Paul says unthankful people become this, futile in their thinking and foolish in their hearts. Their hearts became dark. Here's what that means. The word futile simply means empty, doesn't it? Futile, it's, it's pointless, it's aimless, it's vain, it's empty, it's worthless, and Paul says their thoughts, their occupation in life, the things that they focused on in life, guess what? It's just garbage. It didn't mean anything. It didn't amount to anything. Their thoughts became worthless and meaningless. And boy, do we ever see that happen in America today, right? We just focus on all the wrong things. And then notice this, he says that their foolish hearts became dark. What a sad commentary of people who knew God, right? They knew him, but their hearts had become, become darkened. Why? Because of unthankfulness unthankfulness, something so simple. See, we, we want to make things so complex sometimes when it's really not. It's actually really, really basic. Like we just need to get the basic things down in life. And so we need to keep, we need to maintain a thankful heart in preparation for our battle. In Colossians chapter three, just one simple reminder, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And then he says this, and be thankful. 
And I think he raised his voice there like, be thankful, man. Right? Like, stop. Stop being so ungrateful in life. Stop being so critical. Stop being so worried about your needs all the time. Be thankful. And that's what two million people needed, needed to be and do before this battle that they would face here in the days ahead. Thankfulness. Let me ask you this morning, do you have a thankful heart? Right? Do you have a circumcised heart? And do you have a thankful heart? Remember, God wants our hearts more than he wants our abilities today. Here's the last thing this morning, and that is this, we need an obedient heart. We need an obedient heart. Here's where the story, for me, gets kind of cool. It kind of interesting. We read in, in Joshua chapter 5, in verses 13 through 15, it says this, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and he said, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he worshiped and he said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is probably the most intriguing part really of the story, at least for me. We don't know exactly uh, what Joshua is doing, but I kind of get the picture that it's probably dark, it's probably evening, maybe Joshua couldn't sleep, right? It's totally subjective, okay? So this is not in scripture, but I'm just, you know, thinking about why is he there, right? And maybe he's thinking about the battle ahead. And maybe he's like, I really don't have a plan, you know? And at this point, Joshua has no plan. Like, he does not know what God's going to do at the battle of Jericho as of yet right? He doesn't know. And so he gets up and he takes a walk maybe at night and he's close by Jericho, right? It says in that in, in verse number 13, he was by Jericho. And so he gets there and, and, and as he's walking this trail, this road, whatever it is, he sees this man with a drawn sword, right? Like Conan sword, shiny, long, broad sword. I think it was a broad sword, two-handed. Like it wasn't like a Peter Pan sword, like, if, if this is God holding a sword, it's a wicked awesome sword. And yes, I did just say wicked awesome, okay? It was a wicked awesome sword. If that were me, I'd be like, it's a nice night, huh? See you later. <laughs> but Joshua's a stud. He is a man of courage and strength, and he doesn't do that, right? He walks right up to this guy, and uh, he says, are you for us or are you for our enemies, and the answer is, is, is kind of unusual. He says, no. Like, are you for us or are you against us? No. Okay, not sure how to respond to that, but he says this, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and I love this phrase, now I have come. And there is no doubt in Joshua's mind who this is. And Joshua falls on his face and he worships him because this is actually the Lord. It's the same Lord in Joshua chapter number one who said, be strong and courageous and know this, Joshua, that wherever you go, I will be with you. And now I have come. This is Jesus, guys. This is the pre-incarnate Christ coming in, in, in flesh and standing before Joshua in this moment. It's known as a theophany, those moments where God showed up. He did it to Abraham. He did it in a way to Moses, and here he's doing it to Joshua. And he comes with his sword drawn, which speaks of judgment, 
which speaks of, of, of God saying, Joshua, this is my battle. I am the chief. I am the commander. I am the leader of the Lord's army, and I am here to impose judgment upon these people. And Joshua understands that completely. You see, what Joshua understood was this. I may have the title of this leader to lead the nation into the promised land, but I am not the commander-in-chief. And I want to remind you this morning that you might be in control of your finances, of your life, and of your decisions, and all kinds of things, but we need to be reminded this morning of who is the Lord, and it's not us. It's the, the Lord Christ, and that we need to have obedient hearts to the Lord. And so notice what, what Joshua responds. He bows on his face and he worships. And we know that this is the pre-incarnate Christ because anytime a person bowed before some angelic being, guess what they said? No, 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 no. Get up on your feet. Don't worship me. I worship the same God you worship, right? That doesn't happen here. It is the Lord himself. And here's Joshua's response. What does the Lord say to his servant? What do you want me to do? If ever there was an obedient heart, it was Joshua. This is a man who, who is confronted with this grand plan, this plan he doesn't really understand, probably going to circumcise, I'm not really sure, we're going to march around Jericho for, you know, seven days, and the walls, I, you know, I'm just going to do it. And he obeys the Lord. He obeys the Lord. And in verse 15, it says, the commander of the Lord's army says to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place you're standing is holy. Sounds very familiar. Joshua's predecessor, Moses, right, would stand before the Lord and, and, and the Lord would say the very same thing to him. And it says this, and Joshua did so. Joshua did so. An obedient heart. I'm gonna invite our worship team back up as we get ready to close here this morning. You, you wanna know, as they're coming this morning, you wanna know what you always get from Joshua, what you always get from his life. He, he's really an amazing man. He wasn't perfect. I'm sure he had sin. I'm sure he failed. But what you always get from Joshua is obedience. I mean, look at his life. Uh, you look at the lives of people like Paul or David, and even though they were great people of God, I mean, they still, their sin was like full on display, right? I mean, they, they messed up and God still used them. But Joshua, even though he's not perfect, I think Joshua always understood this. I can't do it unless God shows up. Like, why did, why did God, why, why did he say to Joshua so many times, be strong and be courageous? Because I think he was dealing with a person who had such a humble heart, who had such a, a heart that was like, I know that I can't do anything if it weren't for the Lord. And church, let me tell you this morning, the modern church today, we need that kind of perspective. Nothing will get accomplished, nothing unless we have hearts that are obedient to the Lord. Hearts that say, we'll do nothing of any spiritual value unless God shows up. Do you have that kind of heart this morning? This is, I can't go another day. I can't walk through another week. I can't succeed for the Lord unless he shows up in my life. See, that's why it's not about your abilities. 
It's not about you pulling your boots up and saying, I'll just be a better Christian today. <laughs> You'll fail, just like I do. And God says, I just want your heart. I just want your heart. Would you cut it away? The sin in your life, would you deal with it and renew that covenant with me and be thankful for what I've done for you and just be obedient. Church, how about today? Today, just today, we would say to the Lord God, today, I'll be obedient to you. I'll let you be Lord. I'll let you be commander in chief. I'll let you fight my battles today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just worry about today. I will be obedient to you. What could happen? What could happen in a group of people surrendered? Surrendered like that to the Lord. Man, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible with a group of surrendered people and a holy and mighty Lord. He's still got his sword drawn. He's still got his sword drawn. Do my fight your battles. Would you stand with us as we worship, as we sing unto the Lord? Our prayer for you is not that you would just sing and leave. Our prayer is that, that you, would, you would take to heart whatever it is God spoke to you and that you would be willing not just to listen to the, what the word of God is saying to you, but that you would actually do it, that you would make a commitment, that you would say today, today, I'll circumcise my heart, I'll be grateful and thankful, and I'll walk in obedience, and I'll let God rule and reign in my heart today. Worship with us this morning.